Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus, and we are so grateful to be gathered on Good Friday celebrating our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And and I simply pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would make these words real to us. Uh, Make this message real to our hearts. Lord, we want to look at that cross that happened 2,000 years ago and come away with just such a sense of your love tonight. So touch our hearts uh, as, as I share your word and strengthen me uh, to share what is on your heart. And uh, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us tonight in the name of Jesus. And we bless every church and congregation in our community and even throughout the nation and world that is talking about the cross of Christ This very night, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Oh, okay, we're good. All right. Thank you, sir. Well, um, Good Friday, it happens once a year. And, you know, some churches are more liturgical, so they kind of follow a church calendar all year. And so every, you know, they've got everything kind of mapped out. And then there's other churches that are at the very other end of the spectrum where they just kind of do whatever. And and what's neat, I think, is that no matter if you're on the liturgical end of the spectrum or kind of the, you know, the just, we just show up and worship end of the spectrum, we all seem to recognize that this is Good Friday and Sunday is Easter Sunday and Christmas is Christmas. You know, it's like those two or three we don't miss no matter I mean, if you're a genuine, Christ-following, Bible-believing, Spirit-filled church, you know, you, you end up talking about Good Friday. And so I just think it's neat that all around the world, this very hour, I mean, all over our city and nation, of course, but all over the world, churches are talking about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so it's like, I don't know how many thousands or tens of thousands of churches are talking about Jesus and his cross. And, and I, I'm just moved by that. And, you know, there's a lot we could talk about. There's the life of Christ. And then there's the death of Christ. There's the crucifixion. There's the, uh, you know, there's the resurrection. And then there's the appearing to witnesses. And then there's the, the ascension. And then there's the seating at the right hand of the Father, and then there's the the ministering through his disciples and through his church today, and then there's his returning. That's all part of the gospel that we preach, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I can't touch on all of that tonight, and so I picked one little sliver of the Good Friday narrative. Our kids are all alone. (laughs) 
Okay. All right. Yeah. When I see mommy alone, I'm like, whoa, a miracle has happened. Praise God. Good Friday is gooder. Okay. Yeah. We, we learn to delegate. We just leave the house and go on dates and our kid. No. <laughs> We're learning. So tonight, although we could talk about so many of the glories of the gospel, again, I just listed like the seven main points, but there's one little detail, one little sliver that caught my eye this week that I'm like, let's, let's talk about that because it's so beautiful. So let's go to the text here in Matthew 27, and this is uh, at the very, very end of Jesus's life. It says, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. I and mean, Jesus is on the cross. He, there's criminals around him crucified. And what's interesting is that even nature itself was like already mourning. It was complete darkness, even though it wasn't supposed to be dark. And so it was, there was a cosmic reality taking place that was supernatural. It was like nature itself was mourning the loss of its creator. And you go on to verse 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cries out with a loud voice. So he's dying, and he begins to pray. And I'm thinking, man, I struggle to pray even on good days, and he's there hanging on the cross, and he thinks to pray. What a man. It says he doesn't just whisper it with a loud voice. He says, and don't, don't judge me on my mispronunciation. I'm not fluent in this language, uh, in uh, Hebrew or Aramaic or whatever we have here. But Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, I'm glad it translates it for us. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what Jesus prays. He prays actually a couple things while on the cross. And I haven't studied this fully but he makes two declarative statements and he has two conversations involving two people and he prays two prayers. There's all these twos. It's very interesting. Now, don't, you know, don't make a doctrine out of that. But I just, as I was meditating on that this week, I'm like, wow, that's interesting. All those insights there. But he says to God, his father, he says, God, why have you forsaken me? And we can't unpack all of the meaning of that tonight, but it's important to know why he says this and to look at it a little bit. And then he says, so some stood there when they heard him say that some stood there and they said, this man is calling for Elijah. And it says immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, leave him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And then there's another groan, another cry. Jesus says he cries out again with a loud voice and yields up his spirit. Now I cut off the, uh, the, the narrative right there, but if you keep reading, some tremendous things happen right after he yields up his spirit. You know, the veil is torn in two and there's like an earthquake and even people who were dead are raised from the dead in that very moment. And I just think if we, if you read that chapter and you just see everything that happened, you're like, this man is not a normal man. This is, this is an amazing man. And I just, I just try to put myself in the story and I'm thinking if I'm one of those guards looking at that and I see earthquakes and the 
veil torn in two and people coming out of the grave resurrected, I'm like, okay, this, this guy's God. You know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm going to get right with him. But so much happens there that I, I, I just think we, and a lot of times in Scripture in general, so much happens so fast, we just kind of gloss over things. And we have to go back and just sit still and read these words and go, what? did you just say God forsook you? What? What? And so let's look at that tonight because I have here in letter B all the things Jesus said on the cross. He prays a prayer. For, he says, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he tells John, John, here's your new mom. Mom, there's your new son. And he does a number of things. He leads one of the thieves on the cross to the Lord. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And, you know, he says, I thirst and uh, it is finished. And he, he says all these things, but two of them are prayers and one of them's a question. And I am so, I'm so provoked by this one question. It's his last question that we have on record. If you skip down to number one, I'm going to talk about three points about his final prayer, his final question. Three points for three days in the grave. I guess that's fair. He was in the grave for three days and he resurrected. So we'll, we'll do three points tonight. Among Jesus' very last words, okay, get this, among his very last words, among his very last prayers, he doesn't say, Lord, release revival, the greatest in history. He doesn't pray that. That'd be a great prayer. Lord, raise everyone from the dead. That doesn't happen. One of the very last things he says, it's a question and it's a prayer, and he says, why? Now, if, if you're me, you're thinking, doesn't he know he's God? The answer is no, he doesn't. He is God, but he didn't know everything. He laid aside many of the glories, many of the divine rights and privileges that he enjoyed forever and eternity. When he came to the earth, he fully embraced the human experience. And so Jesus had to rely on his father in much the same way that we do. And so he didn't have this sense of total omniscience like he has enjoyed for eternity past. There was a limiting. There was a, a cap, so to speak, on his life that he didn't know everything. I mean, it's such an interesting theological quandary to talk about because he's fully God and he's fully man. And the Father in heaven knows everything. And for eternity past, Jesus knows everything because Jesus is God. And yet in his humanity, in his time on earth, there was a true limiting of the expression of that glory. And so one of those was he, he didn't have the full privilege of omniscience. And in other words, what I'm trying to say is he had questions like we do. If you just back up just a few days when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's saying, Father, if it's possible, please let this cup pass from me. He didn't know. Maybe that could work. I mean, I know I'm on a mission. I know I need to go to the cross. I know I need to be the Savior of the world. I know who I am. I have clarity on that, but I don't know everything. 
And so there was this question that plagued him even to the very end of, God, why is this necessary? Why do you have to forsake me? I have fully obeyed my whole life. I don't fully understand. And, and the last thing that I'm really just... And, and here's the thing. We don't, we don't and may never fully understand what it means for God to forsake His Son so that we could be accepted as His sons and daughters. We'll never experience it. And so I don't think we'll ever fully understand what it meant for Jesus to become sin in our place and be and be basically given the full punishment of sin and death forever in that moment i don't think we'll ever fully grasp what happened there but there was a, a real releasing of divine wrath and there was a real forsakenness that jesus had to endure and i don't think we'll ever fully grasp the the weight of it but all we do know in our little you know, mind that we have, all we do know is that because he did that, we can be in relationship with God forever. Because he did that, we can put our faith and trust in him and our sins are imputed to him on the cross, which is just crazy. But again, he had questions. He wasn't like strutting up to the cross like, I know, I just got to do this for a few minutes and then I'm good. No, there, were, there was a heaviness and a weight and a burden and, a, I mean, a soul-crushing wrath that he had to take on that really bothered him in a profound way. He did not want to be forsaken, and yet he was so that we could be accepted as beloved. And I think if he were to allow us to experience 1% of what he went through, I don't think we'd even, we just wouldn't be able to handle that. Now, let me make it personal. This is one of the great difficulties in life, is the unanswered questions. Because Jesus had them, certainly we will have them. There are so many hard questions that will always be there. And if Jesus had them to the end, guess what? We'll have them to the end. One of the great difficulties in life, one of the great difficulties of being a Christ follower is that not every question gets answered. In fact, most of them don't. The big ones. I'm not talking about, you know, like, Lord, can I have Doritos or can I eat pizza? I mean, is that okay? Like, not little ones. I mean the big, tough ones that, that you know, touch our heart and our mind in, in deep ways. Like, Lord, why did that happen? Why did my child die? Have you ever been in a meeting? I've been in many meetings where people ask me these questions that I have written down here. Why did my kid die? Why did I have a miscarriage? Why did my marriage fail? Why was I abused as a kid? Why hasn't my life worked out the way I thought it would? Why was I born with this health problem? Why was I born handicapped? Why God? Friends, if we think these things, imagine thinking, God, why do you have to forsake me? 
Why do you have to turn your back on me and crush me with your wrath? So that pe- Why does it have to be that way? I know I'm your son, but I don't understand everything. But I'm going to obey. I'm going to the cross. I'm, go- I'm in. But why, God? This was what was going on on the cross. We all have the why, right? Everybody. Not just you. Not just me. Everyone had, when we put our head on the pillow, those why questions. Here's the thing. Everybody has them. Even the Son of God had those questions. So don't don't think of yourself as, oh, I'm tainted goods. I'm the only one. No. People all around you, if you could see everything, they've gone through the ringer too. Everybody has. And, And some, I mean, to be fair, some way more than others. Everybody has had those things happen that are tough they're real hard and the questions come up okay god i you know i i just there's a lot of pain that people carry there's a lot of uh history that is that is dark and we're fully forgiven and we're fully loved and we know that intellectually but yet the questions are there and here's the thing friends most of them will be there the rest of our life Very rarely will God speak audibly from heaven and say, here's the answer to your question. Okay, thank you. It's part of the human experience. That's the point I'm making. It's part of the human experience to go through very difficult things and have that question in our heart. And sometimes the Lord illuminates a little as we talk to Him over the years, but many of them won't be answered. But I assure you of this, it's not worth it to leave God because we don't have our questions answered. It's not worth it to give up on Jesus and His church and His leadership because we don't have that one question answered. I assure you, when you step through those front pearly gates, if there really are pearly gates, I hope, (laughs) it'll be glorious. But when we first step through into His presence, all those questions will pair in comparison to that loving glory that will touch our spirit. And then he'll begin to answer our questions. We won't know everything on this side. We'll get clarity then, but on this side, we have to do what Jesus did, which is fully obey and continue to pray. That's what he did to the very end. He fully obeyed and he continued to pray, even to his very last breath. His very last question was like, Lord, why? And then he died. So he was carrying stuff, friends, on the inside. And it was, it was pouring out of him at that minute. There was no filter. He was as raw as you can be. There was just pure Jesus coming out of this man. I mean, there was, just, there was no coffee and donuts. You know, He was just fully the real him coming out at that point. We all go through hard stuff. I mean, Jesus was very clear. He said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow after me. There is a cross to following Christ. There is difficulty. But it's worth it. In the end, we will get the clarity. We will get the answer. It's just going to be a minute. One of the things I've learned, and I don't have all the secrets about everything, but one of the things I have learned is 
a lot of the things in our past, though it wasn't like the Lord saying, man, I really want this to happen to that person. No, it wasn't like that. The enemy really does stuff. The enemy does really try to jack up our life. But the fact that it did happen, God does want to use it to bring us closer to him. And so talk to him about it. Talk to him about what's going on in your heart and mind and let that create closeness between you two. And there may be some light shed on that. There may be some things that he does in this side of eternity that are really significant. And you may help a lot of other people in that area. A lot of times the junk we go through ends up being the very place of ministry that we end up touching others in. But I don't want to set anybody up with the expectation that because you're a Christian, you're going you're gonna to know every answer to every question that plagues you. It's not realistic. Sure, there's always one person out there on YouTube that you know prayed and got a dream and whatever. That's always going to be out there. But the reality is most of our hard questions, they're going to they're gonna linger until we go to see Him in glory. And, and we're not going to waltz up to Him and say, Lord, if you would have answered, I would have been so much more dedicated. It's not going to be anything like that. We're just going to buckle down on our knees and worship Him. And He's going to say, I just love you so much. Here's what you wanted to know. I mean, we all have that question. We think we're going to ask Him when we first see Him. But I have this feeling that when we first see Him, we're just going to drop and feel love and just tears are going to pour out of our face. Because we're going to go, I, th- I knew you were real, but you're really real. Wow. Now let's go down to number two. This is similar to number one. So Jesus has this question, and the question is related to the issue of forsakenness. God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, that's what Jesus, the Son of God, prayed to God. God, why? Why have you forsaken me? And I want to talk about that for a second. So Jesus, and we know this, but I want to just say it because I want, it to, I want us to feel it. Jesus didn't go out of this life in some blaze of glory. You know, like we maybe have seen in the movies, you know, or some kind of, you know, Elijah-like chariot. Jesus didn't go riding off into the sunset. The way Jesus went out was like this suffocating, bleeding profusely on a Roman crossbeam. That's how Jesus went out. He was gasping for breath, bleeding to death, and meanwhile, people are insulting him and mocking him. They're making a mockery out of him. Most historians agree he's completely naked. Body is mutilated beyond recognition, suffocating, bleeding profusely, And he's there with all the other common criminals, just like he's this average thief. He's nailed there uh, with other people who had just done petty crime. And then back, back in the day, they didn't have some kind of advanced democratic prison system. They just nailed you to a tree until you suffocated. I mean, it was, it was barbaric execution. And they took pride in making it painful. I mean, they, they really wanted it to be a spectacle. I mean, that's how Jesus went out. I mean, I just, I just try to think of, think of it as like a, his ministry was dead. I mean, I don't mean to make light of it, but everything he had 
worked for, everything he had done was dead at that point. It's like imagine some gigantic machine that the oil cap came off and so the oil drains out and so this this big old gigantic machine was humming and now it just came to this like screeching, rusty, shrieking, clank halt. It just died. Everything. Scripture is very clear. Matthew twenty six fifty six. Not just Judas forsook him, every one of them forsook him. All of his disciples. Every single last one. Peter, John, Judas, all of them forsook him. They fled and they forsook him. So your ministry comes to a grinding halt. You're dying on the cross. Your your disciples fled and forsook you. The Father's about to forsake you because that's part of the theological dilemma I mentioned earlier, someone had to take on the wrath of God, which he did, which involved being forsaken by the Father for a period of time. Let me say this a different way. There was no crescendo of success in Jesus' life, right? We, we try to imagine our life going like we're, we just continue to peak and peak and peak and then we're on our way out. It's kind of like this idea of, you know, we, we want to throw the game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl and then after that announce that we're retired and everybody's like, ah, you're amazing. Like we all kind of want to go out like that sort of. That's not how Jesus went out. What Jesus endured was to be perceived as an utter failure. I mean, I think if we, if we had maybe a coalition today kind of plan Jesus' exit strategy, Jesus, what are you going to do on your way out so that people will follow you? Well, maybe we could you know, do this and do that. And Jesus says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have everyone forsake me. I'm going to die. Everything's going to be dead. Even the Father's going to forsake me. And that's going to start the greatest movement in the history of the earth. And it won't stop for thousands of years. Well, Jesus, we think that's crazy. We're PR experts. We're, we're experts on this. And we don't think that... Jesus says, trust me, it's going to work. Jesus had to endure what was perceived to be an, a complete and abject failure so that the most decisive victory could be secured. You guys know Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 shares this sentiment so well. He was despised. He was rejected. There was this real reality of sorrow and suffering that he had to endure he had to be completely forsaken. I mean, it wasn't just the guy out in the grandstands. It wasn't just the guards. It wasn't just the religious system. It was everyone. I mean, you'd think there'd be at least one guy that would, and, you know, uh, to credit to the women, you know, Mary, all the Marys seem to be pretty in, but, uh, you know, there just weren't too many that were loyal to him. He had to endure this forsakenness. So let me make this personal. You know, we all dream. 
We all dream, and, and it's okay to dream. I, I think it's great to dream. We, I talk about dreaming. We need to. It's very important. We all dream of being like the next success at some level in our vocation, in ministry, in business, in medicine, in this or in that. We all, I mean, that's part of our God-given desires is to, is to dream of what my life could be. And to complicate things, we live in a culture that worships the idea of success, the idea of results, the idea of measuring success, the, the idea of, you know, oh, we need to get bigger, we need to get more, we need to get, you know, richer, we need to get more known. And, and there's this idea of success that, that most of our modern culture not just lives by, but, I mean, literally worships this idea. And I think, man, what about the people in world history that didn't have access to any of the, the notions of success that we have? Because there wasn't the, the kind of you know, monetary or you know, the currency that we have or technology or uh, all these. Anyway, my point is, as Christians, we have to look at the cross to interpret what real success looks like. We have to look at the cross. Here's the thing. That was the greatest success ever. That was the greatest victory. Jesus could not have been more successful if he had more money or if he had more followers or if he had more books sold. I mean, we, it's okay to have all these things. But the, the real measurement of success through the lens of, uh, of the Christian perspective is that the cross, embracing the cross, is what produces the, the richest reward, the richest fruit. And so what looked like from the outside it's just complete failure was actually an epic win. So here's the question I have. Are you and I, are we willing to obey Jesus even if it means we never look successful, we never appear successful? Will we still follow him if it means we're not famous or wealthy or have this or that, whatever is going on in your mind potentially, if we never get the world's definition of success, will we still follow him? Are we willing to suffer? Are we willing to even be forsaken in order to follow him? Because he was willing to go through all of this. I mean, Jesus could have drawn it, up, uh, drawn it up much different. He had a massive following. He could have overthrown Rome. He could have made himself king. He could have been wealthy. He could have been well-known. He could have written books. He could have done all kinds of things. But he had his eye on what true success was, which is, I'm going to fully obey that which my Father has for me. And that alone is success for me. Now, success may look different 
for Andrew, for Peg, for me, for everyone here. Success looks different for everyone. But we must, we must never have a definition that, that uh, takes precedent over Jesus has to be able to say, okay, all right, I, I, I see, I'm taken here, but are you willing... Are you willing to maybe not appear successful? Are you, are you willing to go through suffering? Are, will you, are you willing to be forsaken? Are you willing to go through these things? If we are, we're well on our way to be a true success. Man, it's... Uh, I don't have this on the notes, but one of the more difficult things is is realizing that the more we obey the harder it gets sometimes the more we obey jesus the harder it gets he you just ask job job was a righteous man and yet he had to go through everything he went through paul walked with jesus and he had to go through all these stonings and beatings and shipwrecks and we just go through the bible and the men and women who really sought to live right with god went through incredibly hard things I think that's why a lot of people pull back in their relationship with God, to be honest, because although there are different kinds of things that happen when we pull back, it, you know, we have less pressures. It's difficult to go all the way into what God's calling us to. It's, there's a rigor. There's a difficulty. There, are, there is real suffering. And there are people on the outside going, well, if you only had faith, then that wouldn't have happened to you. There's people out, you know, there's, there's always the guards and centurions and mockers and insulters heaping their insults as you're dying on the cross that God gave you. I look at Jesus, greatest prophet ever, greatest teacher ever, most faith ever, most truth, and most everything ever, and that's still what his obedience looked like. We should not pretend that ours will be different. There will be elements where we carry our cross and there's real suffering. And we don't, uh, you know, we don't take on a, a persecution complex or a Messiah complex or a martyrdom complex, and we don't walk around without joy and just live in gloom, but we do recognize, even though we're called to live with joy, even though we're called to believe for miracles and dream big and have faith and see our city touched, there are real suffering, real trial, real hardships that come our way that are part of the will of God. They're part of the journey. And we don't call everything the devil. Some things are the devil, but some things the Lord led us in a direction and there's, there's just pressures there. I think sometimes, uh, you know, we, it, we, I would never discourage someone from like binding the devil or whatever, but we have to recognize that not every difficulty is the devil. It's just part of our God-given assignment to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We're not guaranteed comfort. We're not guaranteed wealth. We're not guaranteed prominence. Very few will have this. So, and I think of all the things Jesus said. If you just take all the things Jesus said about money and you list it out, he's very clear. The greater the riches, the harder it is. You know, it, it leads people to be very snared in, in this world when they have excessive wealth. And so uh, I don't have that problem. <laughs> but uh, for those that do, I mean, it's a unique cross because it can take us from the Lord.
Now, anything can, really. I mean, there's so many things. I don't want to pick on money, but you, you hear what I'm saying. I mean, we, no matter what our station is in life, we have to be willing to say, you know what? There is a real, there's a difficulty, there's a cross, there are elements uh, that, that are um, they're hard that I have to be faithful to walk through just as Jesus did. I want you to know that whether I become some major success or I become completely unknown, my, my desire is to do God's will. And, and here's the thing. There's a lot of Christians that believe, well, if I do God's will, I'm going to be famous. And then when they don't become famous, they're convinced they, they did it wrong. No, no, you didn't do it wrong. It's just like there's three people that are going to be famous and three billion that are going to be unknown. That's just how not everybody can be famous. And that's, that's a really poor goal to shoot for anyway. I don't get the idea that Jesus set out to be famous. I think he set out to be faithful and the Lord turned up the dial and he touched more people. And so, man, I would love it for one day um, us to have more influence in our community, but I'm not going to try to make that happen. Only God can do that. Let's, uh, let's land this plane. Let me talk about one more point here. This is point number three. Sounds like it's pretty crazy downstairs. Oh, my goodness. While blood was pouring out of Jesus' body, Scripture was pouring out of Jesus' lips. So again, just a reminder, at the point of death, Jesus was prayerfully quoting Scripture. So the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's actually Psalm 22, verse 1 that he's quoting. So he's praying and he's talking to God about these questions, but he's also it's, he's informed by Psalm 22. And some would look at that and say, yeah, he must have had to fulfill some prophecy, so he said that. And I think they over-glamorize that situation. I don't think Jesus... <laughs> I think Jesus was, a hu- he was just being human. And he was drawing from the Scripture that he knew to talk to God about what he was going through. And it just happened to come to mind in that moment, God, why... Uh, Oh, yeah, Psalm 22. God, why have you forsaken? And he dies. I just think what what a picture of, of, you know, when you're being tortured and you're dying and you're almost completely dead, what's going to come out of you? Well, what came out of Jesus was Scripture. I mean, that's just amazing. Here's kind of a what if. Maybe he was just going to, recite all of Psalm 22 and he could only get one verse in and he just he just was so weak he died I don't know it's just a complete what if but maybe he was just in such pain and such I mean just so overwhelmed he just began to quote scripture began to talk to the Lord father uh, why did you forsake you know I don't know we won't we won't know till we get there but I just think he was drawing from the times in his youth as a boy, as a teenager, where he studied these scrolls. It was at that point, he says Psalm 22, verse 1, 
some of the other Gospels, he says a few other things. And then it's at that point, he truly is finished with his earthly assignment. Everything that he had come to accomplish was complete at that point, And then he died. Even to the very end, this is what I have written, even to the very end, the written Word of God gave strength to the living Word, Jesus, all the way to the end. The thing He was drawing on, even to His last breath, was Scripture. David's, thousands of years before, David just wrote some random song because he had a bad day, and that's what God was quoting on the cross. Imagine that. I mean, I just think David's looking down from heaven like, he used that song? Oh my gosh, like I, I was just having a bad day and I wrote a song and he's quoting it to his father, wow. I mean, I just think all the dynamics going on there. Let me, let me make this personal. What comes out of you when you're in pain? When you're in pain, when you're in turmoil, when you're in times of despair, do you think of Scripture? Do you think, man, I need to open the Word and pray? When, when they cut and pierced and sliced open Jesus, that's what came out of Jesus was His love for the Word of God and His love for the Father. I want to talk to my Father. I'm in so much pain. I'm dying. I need to talk to my Father and talk about my, one of my greatest loves, which is the Word of God. I mean, think of it this way. If even Jesus needed the scriptures how much more do we need scripture you know I, I meet too many christians today they think they're so cool and fancy i'm not into scripture i'm into the holy spirit and there's 87 things wrong with that the holy spirit leads us to scripture according to the bible you know and so there's just no such thing as being so cool and so relevant that we don't need the bible because that's so old no even god needed scripture even the son of god was so deep in the scripture oh my word it is a grave mistake to be kind of that new age cool christian i don't you know we're all saved anyway whatever you know who needs that old book um jesus needed that old book and if he needed it i need it and you need it holy spirit jesus said when i leave i'm going to send you a helper and that helper will lead you into truth Friends, I got really serious news. If we're not in the truth, we are so deceived, it is not funny. And I'm meeting more and more people. They are so confused, but they're cool about it, so they think they're cool. And they're so swept up in every little argument and every little false doctrine. They have no idea what's up or down theologically. When if you just simply read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you just do it like a slow burn, just every year you're going through it, one, two, three, and you got that thing, every year you're through it a couple times, my word, you know that thing. I mean, we'll never master it. In fact, the more we master the Bible, the more we realize it has mastered us. And the more we just become so dependent on it, it's like we're hooked, we need it. Because we forget it so easily. So every time I go over the Gospels, oh my goodness, I never saw that. Every time I go through the book of Revelation, oh, wow, that's going to happen. Every time I go through Genesis and Exodus, oh, wow, that. And you just go over and over. That's what Jesus did. I'm a little long tonight. Got a few more minutes. When Jesus was being tempted by the devil, what did he do? He quoted Scripture. 
Satan came at him with all of his lies. Jesus says, how about Deuteronomy 6, 5? Says right here, you're only supposed to worship God. Can you do that? When you're tempted, when you're going through trial, when you're hurt, when you're in pain, are you reaching for the the greatest treasure, the greatest anchor that we have, truth itself in the Word of God? That's what Jesus was clinging to. Are the Scriptures as important to you as they were to Him? Let me just give a few concluding thoughts here and then we will wrap this up for real, even though I've said that like three times. A couple concluding thoughts. Greater than having all our perplexing questions answered in the here and now. Greater than having all the clarity about that one, what, why did that happen, God? Greater than that is knowing this, we're never going to be forsaken by God because someone was forsaken for us. Amen? Here's the thing. You can live with a few unanswered questions if you know there was a man forsaken for me and so I'll never be forsaken by God. And by the way, Jesus was forsaken temporarily. That was a temporary thing. It was heavy. It was real. It's, I will never fully understand it. But I mean, he's fully part of the divine Godhead right now. I mean, he's fully God, fully man, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're, they're in unity completely. This is not like he's hanging out second place. I, want, I wanted to make that clear. But when you can go through your day knowing as forsaken as Jesus was, that's how, that's how accepted I am, you can get through tough stuff knowing that. So never forget that. And greater than appearing successful or living a comfortable life or living a life void of suffering, greater than all of that is knowing is knowing Jesus in every way, gang. Let's not trade knowing Jesus in every way for, yeah, no, I'm not interested in that. I just want to be comfortable. I don't want to suffer as much. I want to be a little richer. No, we can give that. That stuff's so minor. If we want to know Jesus, then we got to go through a little bit of the, the perils of suffering. We've got to go through some of this, this stuff. And we've got to go through the heights of the resurrection as well. I mean, there's, there's tough stuff. There's amazing stuff. We've got to go through both to really know Him, to know what He went through. So let's not sweat like things like, well, I might not be a billionaire. I might not have 58 million TikTok followers like the guy who got the Guinness Book of World Records. Like, those are so minor in perspective of eternity and perspective of uh, knowing Jesus. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, he essentially said this, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And I want to know him in his resurrection. I want to know the sufferings and I want to know the power because in both of them, that's how we know Jesus. There's a gospel floating out there today that says, well, I want to know Jesus in the resurrection only. And Paul says, it's both, brother. It's both, sister. You got to know him in times of suffering and you got to know him in times of glory. And both of them together, that's the gospel. You take one of those away and we have an insufficient gospel. As Christians, we will go through difficulty and we will go through great heights as well in this life. Let's do them both. 
If you have never decided to follow this someone that I'm talking about, Jesus Christ, tonight's a good night to start. You all know this. There is no sin too big that he won't forgive. And there's no sinner too sinful he won't forgive. And I don't care if you've never followed Jesus or if you followed Jesus your whole life and you just had a big sin yesterday, he will forgive you. Here's the thing I want to I truly end with. Let's just keep following him tonight, tomorrow, the next day, no matter what the past has been like, no matter what questions we have, no matter you know, how life has gone so far, let's just commit to follow him tonight, tomorrow. And we'll just do it a day at a time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll end right there. Let me say a quick prayer for us, and then we'll do, we'll do a, like a, a, a family prayer time in the middle here. So, Heavenly Father, I've poured out my heart. I thank you for those who've uh, just uh, you know, listened and, and listened for your word. And I just pray that you would apply this to everyone here, everyone on Facebook. Apply this word to their life, Holy Spirit, by your power. And I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.